Hello? I worked that time. Yeah, Skype is an amazing product. Mm. Mm. But also, I have lots of computer problems, Dan. I can't blame it on did you Microsoft. Ever, did you ever get that new... Um, weren't you getting a new one? I have it, yeah. It's right here underneath this um, Afghan. That How's I put it working? It under. Or is that well, the one it's, that... Oh. It's, in, it's in the box still under the oh. Afghan. <laughs> It's uh, for me the idea of taking a computer and taking it out of the box and hooking it up and starting it and going through all of the like welcome to Macintosh uh-huh. as though I just had landed from <laughs> Kuthatu and hadn't ever seen a computer before and then trying to figure out how to get all the things on it. Ugh. I feel like I need 10 days where I don't have anything else to do that I can just sit down and focus on it. And uh, so I haven't done that yet. So the computer's been sitting under this Afghan for a couple of weeks, three plus weeks, but a lot of that time I was gone. And then that's the other thing is if you're coming from somewhere, going to somewhere, and then you look at this new computer and you're like, is that really what I want to spend the next three hours on when I'm about to do this and I'm ready to yeah. do that? And Right. That's not what I want to do. No. No. I found the uh, image that I sent you when it said you were unavailable on Skype, I found highly offensive. The happy face doing the little ringy ringy. Yeah. Ringy ringy. I find that very offensive from Skype that enough. That's enough of a reason for me to not want to use Skype again. It came, uh, it it came up as Skype was beach balling and trying to boot up (laughs) the, the first thing that came up, you're actually trying to call me. I see you trying to call me on my phone. Right. And Skype brings up a window that's like, would you like a personalized emoji that has your natural skin color? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'm like, go die a thousand deaths, Skype. Just fucking. So anyway, just one. And I'm, and I hope, I hope and pray that there are people listening to the show that work on the Skype um, team. I'm yeah. guessing it's the Skype team over at Microsoft. Right. I don't mean to attack you personally. But uh, uh, improvements could be made. As my mom says, it seems like it's still in beta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She says that about a lot of things in the modern world. She's like, that seems like it's still in beta. And she's right, too. She is right. <laughs> she's like, you know, we used to beta test, and now they just release it and let the consumer beta test. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's Definitely. that's the MO. That's the way. To, I remember back in the early days of... Um, like when they were first starting to come out with Unix for uh, for a desktop type machine, so that we had Linux in the one camp and we had FreeBSD in the other camp. Oh, and Linux, FreeBSD! Yeah, you remember that? Uh, that's actually what they based the Darwin kernel on that runs our Macs these days. But back hmm. in the in the old days, Linux would would be out, and they'd come out with a new release every day. It seemed like like every day there was a new point release coming out, and FreeBSD would release once every like two years. Right. And that's because they would say we we don't believe in beta software. Like we don't release anything until it's been like tried and tested and tested and tried. And um and and I think that that mentality of not releasing something until it's done. That, that's like, no, for, screw that. We're releasing it as soon as we can have something that kind of works. Uh, Here it is. I hate everything. It's tough to uh, find reliable software these days. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I was, um, I've been looking for a house. It's funny how fast a year goes by. You know what I mean? Um, I've been looking for a house uh, and when I started looking for a house, 
I was, I felt like, you know, a couple of months and I'll find a house, but here it is. I'm coming on what? Nine, 10 months almost of looking for a house. And, um, how many have you looked at? Do you think? Oh, you know, a lot, but I look at them online and, and reject them because I'm looking for something kind of, you know, I'm looking for a house that's, that has a lot of individuality and a lot of houses. It seems like a lot of people don't want a house with a ton of individuality. They want a house that has a lot of sort of normalcy and, uh, or normalcy, whatever, however regular people pronounce words. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I'm looking in a very specific place in town because I want to be close to my daughter's school. So it's, I, I have, I have narrowed my parameters so much that it's not, it doesn't seem weird that it's been a long time since any house came into the, into the picture where I was like, that's a good house. Right. But a long time ago, I'm talking about like in June, a house came on the market and I wasn't in a position yet to sell my house. I wasn't in a position to buy one. And I knew from the second I saw it online, like, oh, that's it. That's exactly the house. I could just from the, from the cover photo. And I ran over there that morning. It was like, I dropped my kid off at school and drove immediately over to the house. And the little old couple that were living there, um, they weren't, they were still getting ready for their open house. Like they were putting Windex on the mirrors and stuff in their bathrobes. And I drove up in the driveway and rang the doorbell and said, look, I know you're, I know this is against protocol and it's an open house. I should be here with the real estate agent, but I saw your house come on the market this morning and I just want to take a look at it. And even standing on the front porch, I was like, I don't need to look at this house. This house is perfect. And I came in, I walked around, I was like, oh, your house is lovely. And the husband and wife were both like 91 years old. Uh -huh. And they said, yeah, we had this house custom built for us by an architect in 1959 and we've lived here ever since. And now it's time for us to move to a sunny place now that we're 90 and 91. And they were still very spry. They looked young. He was dying his hair black. I mean, they looked, they were like cool and I complimented them on their place and I was just devastated because I knew I couldn't buy it. And so I watched the house sell and continued to look for houses. But now I have this template. Like there is a house. It's not in New Orleans. They don't call it the rising sun. It's this house. Mm -hmm. And any other house that comes along has to beat this house. Well, about four months later, all of a sudden that house is on the market again. Because the people that bought it, bought it because they thought they were going to take a job in Seattle and the, the job fell through or something happened. I don't know who it is in the world that buys a house before they even are sure they're going to move to a place, but I guess it happens. So the house was for sale again and it sold immediately. I'm guessing to the person that was the second highest bidder or whatever. And so I had to watch this house come and go a second time. Mm, and you could do nothing about it. I couldn't do anything about it. I wasn't ready to sell my house. The, you know, it was a bad time of year. It was like November it closed. 
But in my house searching, I continue to drive by this house and look at it and say, it's still the best house. I can't, I drive through this neighborhood all the time. I can't even think of a better house than this that I've seen, let alone that's on, that's for sale. And as time went on, I noticed they weren't sweeping the walk. They weren't, uh, you know, there was a windstorm and a branch blew down in the driveway and no one moved it. Lights weren't on. I never saw a moving van. I never saw a contractor's truck. And over the course of the winter, I was like, nobody's living in this house. Not only aren't they living in it, but they're not fixing it up. Because I lost, I, I, there was another house I wanted to buy, but it was too much work. And the day it closed, there were contractor trucks out front ripping it apart. So I contacted the real estate agent because I'm ready to sell my house now. Yeah. Like you could, what if, what if an offer came in today? How long would you need to get out of there? I'd call a, I'd call a bunch of movers and I'd say, just take everything out of here and put it all in a storage space. I don't even care if you break it. And it could be, it'd be cleared out by tomorrow. So I said to my realtor, contact the realtor that sold that house a second time and see what's going on. Cause I don't think the, I don't think the second buyers are living there either. So she did. And we hear back, the second buyer was a dad who was recently divorced and who wanted to buy a house so he could visit his kid in Seattle and have a place for his kid to visit him. Well, again, I don't know what kind of people it is that can just buy a super big family architect designed mid-century modern home just to have a pied-a-terre to have his kid visit him. seems like what you would do is get a two-bedroom condo somewhere. But the guy never moved in. Hmm. And he's got, he's got a BMW SUV. It's kind of a sedan-y SUV that's obviously very expensive. It's not an, I don't think it's an M, but it's a, it's a, it's not just your Does little it have a hatchback M5. or is it a... It seems like it does have a hatchback, but it sits up real high. It's like SUV sized, mm -hmm. but it's also luxury size. Cause I know all those little X five and sevens, right. and, you know, it's not a normal one. It's not one that you see all the time and he just parks it there. Could it be an X seven? Maybe. maybe That's I'll bigger. Look. It's big X seven. Maybe. Anyway, so whoever this guy is, he doesn't live in Seattle and he's got this big house. And so I went and I peeped in the windows. Well, there's nothing in there except <laughs> in one of the bedrooms, there's a bunch of children's toys. Uh -huh. And I felt really sad for this guy uh, because he obviously has a bunch of money and he just got divorced and he wants to see his daughter. You can pretty much tell from the toys. Mm-hmm. And this is his solution to the problem, which seems, okay, so looking at the BMW X7, no, I think it's something, it's even slicker than that. It hmm. seems like sport. This kind of looks like a Lincoln Continental. <laughs> um, anyway, and so he's got money, right? He can throw money at this problem. He can buy himself a $150,000 BMW just to leave parked here for those rare occasions when he comes to town to visit his kid and he's got to be a young enough guy 
that he has like a three-year-old recently divorced. I, I get the sense that he probably bought this house in this particular neighborhood because that's where his ex-wife is living. And he wanted to kind of be like, oh yeah, well check it out. I can buy a house in that neighborhood too. He just, I'm not, I'm not sure I have a very good feeling about him in addition to being pitying him. Well, so my real estate agent writes back and she says, actually he, it might be interested in selling because he's only slept there one night in the last four months. And I was like, is this really possible that I could, that this house could get sold three, it, it was built and lived in by its original owners for what, 60 years. And then it gets sold three times in the first year before it comes to me, the person that should have it. Should have it, right. And then the real estate agent says, but he's a real wheeler dealer kind of guy. <laughs> and so I think he like wants to make money <clears throat> uh -huh. on it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I knew it. I knew I didn't like this guy. Like here he's trying, he's got this tragedy in his life. He's trying to solve it by throwing money at it. And now he's, now he thinks he's like going to sit on this house for four months and, and do nothing to it and flip it for another, like, you know, make a big profit on it. So he sends over his like, make me move price. I'm like, Oh, you're such a dick. You are a dick. Like, I get it. I get it. Right. But the, the people that bought the house the first time they sold it to him for basically the same price they'd paid. So they took a bath on right. the closing costs. And everything. Yeah. They're just going to eat that cost. Yeah. He bought it for $5,000 more than the people that bought it, you know, three months before him. But now he wants to like make 50 grand. So now I'm in this weird situation where I'm walking around all the, I'm walking around the last two days going, okay, it is the house. I haven't seen a better house. I want this house. I'm ready to get this house. If I sell my house, I can get this house, but I don't like this guy and I don't want to give him the satisfaction. All right. Like, but I don't want to, I don't want to wheel and deal him either. So I've got a lot of, um, I've got a lot of conflicting feelings right now because, because some of my problems that I've been, I've had a lot of anxiety the last year. And if I got a new house, I think I would, I think I, I'm pretty confident that a lot of my anxieties would go away because a lot of my anxieties are rooted in the fact that all my stuff is in boxes. I don't know where, I don't know where I'm supposed to be wandering around all the time. Like, like you're, are you saying you're packed up? Is your stuff packed? Yeah. Like in boxes packed in boxes in a storage space. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been working on this for months. Wow. Little by little. We would like to say thanks very much to Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon's mission is simple. They make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and they make sure that shopping for them is easy and convenient. Mac Weldon, they were founded because they wanted more out of the basics and always questioned how something so essential could be such a pain in the neck to buy. Mack Weldon started from scratch. They engineered their own fabric. 
They made sure the design process is meticulous so you can count on the fit being the same each time. You ever gone to a department store or a, a chain and you bought a pair of jeans and you say, these fit, and then you go and buy the same one the next time and they don't fit even though they're the same exact size? Not with Mack Weldon. The stuff you buy fits the same no matter which it is and when you get it. It's And that makes a huge difference. They built a, a world-class customer experience and the difference really is in the details. They so obsessed over every stitch, every seam, until they reached their definition of perfect. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, uh, hoodies, sweatpants, more, more than, you, uh, than you've ever seen before, the most comfortable they have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. And, uh, and Mack Weldon, they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. And not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look awesome, they perform well too. This is great for working out in or, or going to work in or going on a date, everyday life, whatever it is. Take it from me. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And you're going to get 20% off your first order. Go to Mac Weldon, that's spelled M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, Mac Weldon, and enter the promo code ROADWORK at checkout, and you will get 20% off your first order. Go check out Mac Weldon. It's better than whatever you're wearing right now. I haven't really talked about this because it, it, has, it, because it gives me anxiety just to talk about it. Because I don't, you know, packing, there, there, there's a couple of different logics. And one of those logics is just pack the stuff you want, get rid of everything else before you pack it. And another one of the logics is just pack everything and move it. And then as you're unpacking, sort through stuff and decide what you're going to keep and what you're not. And I ended up going with that model because trying to sort through things before I packed it was kind of in the same family as just trying to sort through things. <laughs> right. Right. Like I'm always trying to sort through things. And so, so every day I'd be like, I'm going to fill up two boxes today. And then I would end up sitting cross-legged on the floor, sorting through little, you know, little bins of rusty screws. Like which ones of these screws do I take with me? You know, just, I'm just, I'm a crazy person. So I put everything in a storage locker and then it got broken into. It, we had the middle storage locker on the middle aisle of the middle row of a, the middle section of a giant storage place. And ours was the only one they broke into. That's they so went dumb. in through a door. They went all the way down the hall. They just picked the middle one. And, and Do you think it was random? You're saying it was totally random? Well, so my mom immediately is like, it has to be someone who listens to your programs. They've tracked you down. They must have an inside scoop on the storage split. And I'm like, no one that listens to any of my shows or is a fan of mine is going to break into my storage space. Right. Like they would, they might just, protect your storage space, but they're yeah, not going to break right. into it. No, they're not going to break into it. Cause I think most people know that if they, if they wanted something and wrote me a heartfelt email and said, will you send me two candlesticks and a globe? I would say, <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, if I ever got around to going to the post office, yeah, I'll say, yeah, I don't get it. What do I care? You don't have to steal anything from me. I don't think it, I just think it was 
because the people at the storage space are like, yeah, I don't know, man. Every once in a while, somebody just comes in and breaks into one of these things, and that's why we have insurance. So what they did was they tossed the place, and I was convinced that they had stolen a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. And I, and so for months, I've been walking around thinking like, oh, I got broken into again. I lost all these important things. And I was moping around one day and my mom, just a couple of days ago, my mom said, why don't we just go down there and take everything out of the storage space and pack it all back in there and you can see. I was like, ugh, I don't want to. She said, I know, but like it's, you're, you're walking around thinking all your stuff is gone. So we did go down there and in the course of another day spent rearranging the storage space, I realized, oh no, they hadn't. They didn't steal any of the stuff that I thought they stole, mostly because who wants this stuff? You know, people who break into storage spaces just want guns. What else is in a storage space? (laughs) Tools? I guess. Papers? I mean, yeah, my storage spaces are full of books, more books, um, globes, (laughs) you know? They They definitely stole one electric piano, which seemed like the dumbest thing you could possibly steal, like an electric piano? This thing, you know, this thing took three guys to carry. That's what you choose to steal. (laughs) But all the things that I thought they stole, like my collection of Hubert Humphrey political pins and a selection of Filson bags that I, that I feel are very collectible Filson Mm. bags that no one else in the world, except for like 20 other people in the world, even give a shit about I mean, there are people that like Filson bags, but nobody's thinking about them as collectibles. It's a thing I'm inventing. Like, oh, <laughs> right. they only made these for, oh, that's not it. That was never even on the U.S. market. Oh, look at this one. You know, it's only, that one never even went to market. It's just a sample. How did it even make it out into the world? Now, who am I collecting these against? I mean, I'm just collecting them for myself. And I thought these guys had stolen them. And so for Four months I've been going on eBay and Craigslist every day saying like, when that gray 258 comes up for sale, I know it's mine. There's not another. Well, it turns out it was there the whole time. So I feel with that, with the recovery of what I thought was stolen stuff, I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm whole again and I'm just ready. I'm ready to just take all the stuff I don't care about to the thrift store and I'm just ready to, I'm ready to go. I'm almost even ready to pay this guy the extra 50 grand, but I don't want to, I want to go let the air out of his BMW's tires, but I don't want to do that because I know he's a divorced dad and he's got a kid he cares about and he wants to see the kid. And this is just the like severely broken way that he came up with to, to solve this problem. I can see why he, his wife divorced him. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just written in his behavior and I've never even seen him, but I've got a good, I've got a good idea what he looks like. Anyway, that's where I am. And I've, I've got all this, I've got all this anxiety, financial anxiety that's been hanging over my head for the last year. And I just, I, I, there's not exactly a light at the end of the tunnel yet, but I just feel like 2019 is the year, Dan, that, 2019 is going to make 2018 look like 2014. 
So 2000, wait, which year was the good one? 2014 was the good one? Yeah. Okay. 2014, in 2015, I ran for city council, and that was not a good financial year. Oh. But 2014 was a very good financial year because Roderick on the Line was making money, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I was doing a lot of shows. And it just went, it just went downhill from there. 2016 and 17, I was, I was dating millennium girlfriend who lived in California. I was spending money just as though I was a lawyer. Mm, just to go back and forth and. And just and go to sushi out. three times a week. You know, like lawyers live a certain kind of lawyers in love sort of lifestyle. <laughs> and I was like, that's me too. I mean, I. <laughs> Did she, I mean, did she ever, you know, did you go Dutch ever on things? Nah, that wasn't her style. I was her, uh, you know, I was the, I was the, uh, I was the man. The sugar daddy. Well, it's hard to be a sugar daddy to someone who makes three times the money you make or 30 times the money you make. But, you know, yeah. Anyway. So you would think she would have been sensitive to that. She wasn't footing the bill. No, sensitivity wasn't really like part of our dynamic. Needless to say, I thought last year was going to be the year where it all, you know, where at 49 years old, I had a career and it was all going to make sense. I wasn't even trying to sell my house until halfway through last year where it already wasn't making sense. And then I compounded the problem with all of this. And you know, it's not, I would have just stayed in my house if my daughter and her mother hadn't moved out of town, which I just realized I don't want to live the rest of my life in a car. I want to live close to my kid where I can walk her to school in the morning. That's like my only motivation. But once I was in the process of doing it, I didn't want to just move into some place that wasn't as good as my cool farmhouse with a barn and a swimming pool full of logs. It had to at least be that good. Yeah. And then I got introduced to actually appreciating mid-century modern architecture, which I had always kind of loathed. And that set me on a course, set me on a course of anxiety. That's that like so many things is not really sympathetic in the retelling because they're, you know, obviously like the world is, complex and for instance i'm leaving tomorrow on a cruise oh wow which which one is that i'm going on the joko cruise i was a very very late addition to it because i said i wasn't going to go on it until three weeks ago and then i was like you know what i think i will go and they said gee great thanks for the heads up and i was like well i mean you know if you have an extra if you have an extra berth and they found me uh, a room down in steerage. And I said, <laughs> I'll do it. But then I immediately felt like, what am I doing? Why am I going? Why am I doing that? I don't need, it's not like I need a vacation. I don't have anything to do on the cruise because all the performance slots are booked. So I'm just going to sit by the pool in heart shaped sunglasses and read Lolita. <laughs> right. While, you know, that's what I uh, always think of you doing. Yeah. Well, 1500 nerds mill around trying to get in on like, uh, 
on some tabletop game in the basement. So I feel like my decision-making is flawed. I'll have a wonderful time. You know, they might be giants are on the cruise, uh, this, this year. So obviously like Flansburg and I don't run out of things to talk about. That will be fun. But, uh, but it just doesn't, it still feels like I need a manager. My mom has started to say that she thinks I should have a wife. And she never, ever said that before. Just to sort of manage your personal affairs? Well, she, so she, I think we both have come around to the idea that, and I think, I think my mom came around to the idea on her, on her part, she just realized, you know, I, my job in life was to administer and your job in life is to make things or to uh, discuss, think about things. Right. And it's hard to, it's hard for somebody who is very good at administering to, it takes a long time to look at somebody and say, thinking about things is actually a job. There's always been a, there's always been a public intellectual role in the world, but those people tend to either be independently wealthy or it's almost always in a university context mm -hmm. and they publish books. That's how they, but what their real job is, is to think about things. They just sit in front of a typewriter and put it, put it all down, but sometimes well, sometimes not. But she said, I just realized over the course of my life that you're here doing things. You're here for a reason. You're doing things and it doesn't have anything to do with administering details which she said is what I am absolutely here to do. And so the whole equation of like, what a, what a, a relationship is, what a, what a, what a marriage is. She was like, if I had just realized in my marriage that I was good at half of the things and he was good at half of the things. And if we had just done it that way, instead of doing that thing where you feel like, what equality looks like is that that you that no one person empties the dishwasher any more often than the other person. Right, right. And that is what somehow means that you're equals. <laughs> instead of like one person handles the money and one person handles the social life. And well, yeah, one but you know that I think those are the two common ways that people in in cohabitating marriage type situations will, will try and split things up. You know, they'll right. say, well, I I'll do the dishes this time. If you do them the next time. Right. And, and that in my personal experience doesn't work. What's better is that you pick the things that you're good at and they pick the things that they're good at. And then you just, you each do those things. I don't think I've done a load of dishes in 10 years right. Be, for two reasons. One uh, I don't do it the way she, I don't load the dishwasher correctly, apparently. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, when I, so when I, when I load it bad, really bad things happen. Like for example, um, sometimes, uh, the, the cup will get full of the water because it wasn't at the correct angle that oh, would let damn. it get clean and like water oh. would then bounce off the, the top and go into the cup and fill up the cup. Damn, come on. I know. So there's that, that sometimes that has happened. 
It didn't happen a lot, but it happened once. And I think if it happens once, then it could happen again. So we can't have that. And then um, also I, I, I leave too much space maybe between things or more could be, could fit in. And also I don't believe in any kind of pre-rinsing or pre-washing of anything, which uh, the dishwasher that we have has like a built-in, it handles that. It's fine with that. You don't have to pre-wash it. In fact, it says the instruction manual, don't pre-wash. There's no reason to pre-wash. It has like a disposal in it or something. So you don't have to pre-wash, but that's a philosophical difference that she believes that even if it says that you still need to do it. Uh, but she just said, you know what? I'll do this and you can do, you know, this other thing. And so that's easier because I'm good at whatever the other thing was. I don't even remember one of the things I do. And, and that, I think that's better than trying to keep track of who did what last yeah. And now I got to do that again. Well, you did it last time and I'll do it again, but we did have company over and that made more dishes. So I've actually done it mm. twice. So now mm. you have to do it twice. I don't, I'm not, I'm not very good at keeping track of that kind of thing. Well, it isn't, you know, like I, for instance, am someone who has a very specific way. I like the dishwasher loaded. And if you come into my house and you load the dishwasher wrong, I will absolutely take it all apart and redo it, mm -hmm. um, which is, that's really a problem. Um, I admit it, but organizing the dishwasher is, is a thing that I feel very strongly about, but I will let dishes pile up in the sink for several days mm. before I put them in the dishwasher. Now there are lots of people, including people in my world who throw the dishes in the dishwasher in a way that I consider almost unforgivably haphazard, but they put dishes in the dishwasher immediately so that the sink is ne never has dishes in it. Well, how do these two universes interact? The way they interact is either the person that doesn't want dishes in the sink learns to tolerate dishes in the sink or the person that can't stand the dishwasher being loaded incorrectly just never looks at the dishwasher again. <laughs> and um, what won't work is that the two people try to share the burden of using the dishwasher because the person, because it's just every single time you walk into the kitchen, one of the two people is going to have a problem. Right. But in a modern world, the dishwasher is more than just a dishwasher, more than just an appliance to wash dishes. It is a symbolic, uh, space. It's a symbolic, holy space within the kitchen where the question of what is women's work and what is men's work is adjudicated mm -hmm. over and over again. So that if the job of putting dishes in the dishwasher falls to the woman or the woman proxy person in the relationship, there's a baked in potential for resentment and for feeling like you are, you know, that the, that the dish work is somehow gendered and also somehow like, uh, a, a kind of like forced labor when contrasted with 
I don't know, other more glamorous work like opening the mail or whatever. I don't know. Because I've never been married. I've never lived in a domestic situation. I just know this. I know this is true because I, because I walk through the world and I, and I, and I notice the world, but it, it, but it immediately, like when I think about living with somebody, I, my attention turns to the dishes because this is a, this is a problem area. I can see it already. And I don't, you know, like sometimes two weeks go by and the dishes sit in the sink. And I know that it is, I know that would be intolerable if you were living with someone, but it is how I, but it's how I, it's how my eyes focus, you know, as they walk through a space. But so my mom has started to say, there are people in the world who do not want to do podcasts, nor do they want to write songs, nor do they want to think about the gendering of dishwashing. What they want to do is get things done. They want to, they want to administer things and manage things. That's what they're good at. That's what they want. What if you met someone and you were thinking less in terms of, does this person make me feel um, constantly off balance and uh, where my heart is in my throat all the time and maybe like, Everything is going to end up like this house is going to end up on fire with me in it. (laughs) Or does this person like help me and feel like they have a set of skills that are compatible with mine? And I, so I've started to think in different ways. I've started to look out at the world and say, yes, that girl definitely cuts her own hair and is wearing clothes that she made herself. (laughs) out of old band t-shirts. She's wearing like a dress that she made out of band t-shirts and guitar (laughs) picks. And that's very (laughs) intriguing to me. Right. But also she seems like someone who does not do the, she doesn't pay her bills either. And I don't really pay. I don't remember to pay my bills often until it's too late until I start getting letters in pink envelopes instead of white envelopes. So maybe the girl in the dress made out of band t-shirts is not the, is not the ideal partner for me. Um, I mean, it all, it's all like, like it might be appealing for you to you, yes. but, but you're saying that it is not necessarily good for you. Right. And, and the thing is, this is way downstream from the question from the, like the, the Genesis question, which is, am I looking for a partner? But when I, when I look at the, when I look at the disorder in my life and think, how do I solve this disorder? There, there are like a partner who has an interest in order and ordering things is as much an option as hiring four different people to you know, putting them on retainer so that they can keep my, my life in some semblance of, um, like it with a, with a trajectory that is at least compatible with, with the other trajectories right. and not just, and not just like, a like a comet 
off-gassing in all directions, <laughs> responding only to solar wind, <laughs> which is how I feel like I, I mean, I'm just looking around the room here and it's like, oh, well, there's a, there's a Chewbacca onesie sitting on top of a box of wrapping paper with a guitar leaning against it. And for some reason it's covered with post-it notes and it's all on top of a chair that has a sign on it that says to go to Susan. And when I look at it, I see there's like seven unfinished projects on that chair. And it, uh, like how, what's your emotional response to that? Yeah. Right. Like where, where do I begin? Do I start with the project that's at the bottom? That seems unlikely, but the project that's at the top is the one I least want to do. So it just, so every time I walk in the room, something else goes on top of it. It's like, my, that was exactly how my dad dealt with things. It just all got, the latest thing got put on top of the last thing. And by the different strata, you could tell, you could just reach to the bottom of the pile and pull something out and know exactly the date that this pile started. Unfortunately, if you did that enough times, then the pile got all mixed. Mm. because stuff from the bottom would get then put back on the top again. <laughs> and then you wouldn't know what anything was, you know, his passport would be in there somewhere. <laughs> I at least keep my passport in, in a, not a single place, but, but there's a, there's a like five foot. It's like a rotating system that you have and where do you keep it? So it, it is, doesn't get stolen again. There's a five foot circle. And I can count on the fact that the passport is going to be somewhere within that five foot circumference. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, it's like a zone. So I'm, yeah, I'm working on, I'm working with a kind of zone defense here. Things belong in zones <laughs> rather than in places. Uh -huh. <laughs> so what other kind of zones do you have for your stuff? Hmm. There are a couple of suitcase zones. There are like some of the things that I look for regularly, um, are, well, there are like cufflink zones. There are dust buster zones. The dust buster is only going to end up in three or four places, but it could be in any one of those three or four places at any given moment. Um, there are, there's definitely like a very, a very constrained zone where bills and checks go. So bills and checks go the same place because bills and checks belong together. I'm sure there's a way you could organize your life where checks went one place and bills went another. Yeah. But that doesn't make sense to me because it feels like checks are just anti-bills or bills are anti-checks. So you put them together and, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, they don't even out. Hopefully at the end of the day, the checks um, surmount the bills. We would love to say thank you very much to OpenFit. You know, because getting fit and staying healthy, it always sounds easier than it turns out to be, right? That's, that's just reality. Well, OpenFit 
is bringing you something new that makes it even easier to never miss a workout. You're going to lose the commute to the gym and the workouts, they will come to you. Couldn't be easier. Open Fit, it takes all the complexity out of losing weight and getting in shape. It's a brand new, super simple streaming service that allows you to work out from the comfort of your own living room in as little as 10 minutes a day or your hotel room or your office, whatever. And this be everybody, everybody is different, right? Our level of fitness is different. Our body shapes are different. You see what I'm saying? And this is what makes OpenFit so good. It's personalized to your needs with custom tailored original content. They've got amazing trainers and classes, some of the most effective and engaging trainers in the world. It's super simple. You don't have to worry about, there's none of that complexity, that stress about getting fit. You just press play and work out on your schedule. 600 seconds with uh, Devin Wiggins for fat burning, for example. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's there and like, it couldn't be easier. You get this anywhere, anytime on your computer, your web-enabled TV, your tablet, your phone, your Roku, and you can lose up to 15 pounds in just your first 30 days. 15 pounds in your first 30 days with, with some of these programs. It's really, really great. I use these, especially when I know I'm going to be traveling or I'm going to be home, you know, with my kids are off on, uh, on vacation from school and I can't get to the gym or if I'm just too busy. And in some cases, the workouts on these are better than what I could get in the gym. And I like the instructor led stuff. I like learning new things when I'm getting in shape because it's so easy to get into a rut. Trust me, you're going to have something there that, uh, that they'll have something you're going to like. And it's designed for this and it and really come to think of it it has changed the way i work out you can change the way you work out too. use the code roadwork and you can uh, you can join me and be on your own uh personal fitness journey and so here's what you do remember that code roadwork here's what you do you're going to get full access to open fit all the workouts all the nutritional information uh totally free and you can lose up to 15 pounds in 30 days. So remember 30 days, right? It's uh, text the word roadwork to 303030 on your phone. That's 303030303030. Text the word roadwork to that. And you're going to get all that access totally free. Go check it out. Thanks very much to OpenFit for making this show possible. Uh, some other things, guitar picks mm -hmm. have a lot of zones, but they, they do have zones. They're not just random. You don't just turn it around and there now are guitar for, picks everywhere. I, I played guitar, uh, and so I understand this, but I feel like maybe you could explain why you would need more than one guitar pick ever, mm. you know, mm -hmm. as, as there's something about a guitar pick that you need more of them and why. Well, I have a lot of guitars, and the guitars also are in zones. But what happens is I'll be in one place, and I will pick up a guitar, and I will strum it as I walk. And I'll walk to the other side of the house, strumming the guitar. Maybe I'll stop halfway between one place and the next and work on something. Maybe I'll happen upon something, and I'll work on it on the guitar for a while. And then I get to the other side of the house and either the thing I've been working on is good enough that I then stop where I am and work on it 
or it kind of floats away, peters out, or something else grabs my attention, at which point I take the guitar off and I set it down. Mm-hmm. I do not take it back to where I found it. I set it down where I am. And I also set the pick down on a nearby flat surface, probably the corner of either a table or a kitchen counter or a piano or a shelf. And then the guitar stays there leaning against whatever piece of furniture it was that I was standing next to with the pick somewhere else on that piece of furniture. Uh, and then I move on and three days later, I may be in a different part of the house, pick up a different guitar and walk across the house playing the guitar until I arrive somewhere else where I leave that guitar. So they move around. There are five guitars in circulation in the house. One in my room, one in the other bedroom, one in the laundry room, one right here. And they all have picks. But when you pick up the guitar the next time, you don't necessarily always find the pick that went with it. So there are more picks than there are guitars because sometimes you pick up a guitar and you play it with your fingers for a while as you're walking around and then you look, Oh, on the bookshelf, there's a pick. So you grab it, you flip it around. That is one style of zonal. Okay. Um, but again, if I were living with someone, if they had a system, I have to guess that when they came into the kitchen and found a guitar lying there or leaning there, they would either, depending on how cooperative your relationship was, they would either go, God, he just leaves his stuff everywhere. Or they would say, this doesn't belong here. And they would pick it up and they would take it and put it back on the guitar rack. Like well, a, desi- of, a designated spot in one place. Yeah. The room I'm sitting in right now has a guitar rack in it that has five guitars on it. And then there are two guitars leaning next to it and one banjo made out of a cigar box. And one of the guitars is a bass. So this room has the guitar rack in it. And with a little paring down, every guitar in the house could probably be here right around the guitar rack. And I wouldn't mind it. I mean, it would, so the, the, the thing that would change my life for the worse would be if someone were living here and every time they came upon a guitar, they went, ah, God, what is wrong with him? When will he learn? Here? Yeah. When will he learn to put his guitars away? Like that? I don't need no amount of love in the world would be worth enduring that living under those conditions. (laughs) Tortures of the damned. No, no, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't. But if there were someone who said, this isn't where this goes and they put it back every time to a place that they thought is uh, where those things went. I could get to, I could get used to that, right? Because that means that when I was looking for a guitar, I would just go find one. Now it would change the nature of 
walking through a room and absently picking up a guitar and strumming it as I walked from place to place. Mm -hmm. But I recognize that as a form of sort of chaos, like marshaled chaos where everything is accident. And maybe that's my nature, but I could conform to a thing where there was just slightly less accident because I'm in this room that has the guitars in it enough that, uh, that I, that I would still be able to find them. Right. I'm it's not like I'm never going to play the guitar again, but it's that it's the coding. It's the key of, uh, people who like to organize things feeling like that is a kind of virtue that organization is virtuous and disorder disorder is sinful, which is, which is baked in, I think to a, a certain extent to people who order things, they feel it's virtuous because they get that, they get that, um, stimulation when they put things in order, they feel, they feel not just good, but blessed. Mm. And so they extend that to, to things that are disordered being cursed. So I've been in plenty of relationships with people who feel like my way of doing or not doing things is not just a different way, but, a, a, but a worse way. And that's the thing that I can't, why would I share my space with someone who brought that energy to me? Yeah, sure. But it, it, it almost feels inevitable. I have, I guess I've never felt, um, because it isn't just acceptance, right? I don't want to live in a situation where there's somebody else that just also just throws their stuff on the floor because then we're just living in a garbage house. Mm -hmm. Nor do I want somebody that just walks around my stuff and pretends it isn't there because that also feels judgy, you know, in a way. If their stuff is all fine, eventually what they're going to want is their own space that they get to keep fine. And that, that means that my space is messy. Their space is fine. And there's some detente, some, some uncomfortable truce about certain spaces. I've never been in a relationship where, where the other person said, look, I'm going to take charge of keeping everything organized. And I'm not going to resent you for it because it's what I want. And I, and I don't feel like you want it or even notice it. And I do want it. You know, I wouldn't, I do. You want, want it, it, but you just don't want to have to do it. No, it's not that. That's no. exactly, that's the, that's the aspersion that gets cast. It's not that I don't, it's not that I I want it and just don't want to have to do it because I'm lazy or because something it's that I am not wired to do it. I cannot throw a football 40 yards, nor can I, can I see the path to walking in the door of a house and not creating a wake of discarded jetsam. Mm-hmm. As I move through the house, I cannot 
I cannot conceive it. If I, if I were to do it, it would take up all of my mind in those situations where I'm in someone's house and I can't, and I'm not at Liberty. It, I mean, I walk through the house just like absolutely tiptoeing because if, if I were to start being absent minded there, if I were to start thinking and walking around doing what I do, which is just sort of ruminating, you would, you, you'd be astonished at how soon I can disorder a space within an afternoon. So it isn't, it isn't like a, it's not a moral failing. It's not evidence of laziness. It's not that I could do it, but I just choose not to. It's that I cannot do it Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And but for someone to truly know that and to know that that was the, that that went along with me, just like everything else that goes along with me. Like if you like my voice, you also have to acknowledge that I, uh, leave my guitar in the kitchen and so forth. And I think this extends to everyone to a certain degree. There are, I think, a lot more people that just by looking, just by going online and looking at the way houses are staged to sell, I think a lot of people really want minimalism in their life and and trying to figure out a way where chores are shared or where equality is struck between two people, it's very, very difficult for almost everybody to do. And I guess acknowledging the component of it that where there's a moral judgment attached to it, where it isn't just that you forgot to load the dishwasher, it's that forgetting to load the dishwasher is a sin. Uh, or a, or an aggressive act or a, uh, or a, a sign that you don't love the other person. And you, I think you, <laughs> I think you see those domestic disputes all the time. And I'm just a, a really exaggerated case of it because I live alone and I live alone partly because it's easier for me to live alone than to try and navigate all the micro, all the microaggressions that go along with just being who I, being like I am and sharing space with us, with someone else. I just, I can't, I can't afford that much microaggression. And so I'd rather be lonely or I'd rather be, I'd rather be a disaster than be in a, in emotional purgatory. And I've had, I've had friends. I have a friend who lives in Joshua tree now who comes to visit me sometimes and she gets great pleasure from organizing small spaces in my house without asking permission. Hmm. I'll come around the corner and there will be some area that used to be disordered, which now is ordered. And you get the sense that 
if she stayed here a long time, it would all be ordered because it is, uh, because it's in her nature. She's, I think that she recognizes that she's doing me a favor, but she doesn't, she doesn't do it to, to get, she's not seeking praise. She never reveals it. You know what I mean? She, I don't come downstairs and she goes, ta-da. She just does it. (laughs) And then, and then we get on with our day. And then three days later, I notice it. Wait a minute. This isn't where that was. Wow. Look at this. And she, it doesn't even, she's reluctant to acknowledge it. And you see in like moments like that where, oh yes, she does also have mental illness, but it is super compatible with mine Hmm. in that respect, right? Like she has systems and she orders her world by, by system. And she, and she has no, I mean, I would, she's one of the few people in the world I would absolutely trust to load my dishwasher because I know she has a system for it. I don't think she's ever done it, but if she did it, and even if the system was completely different from mine, it would be a fucking system and not just dishes thrown into a dishwasher. I'm all, I'm all about systems. Well, yeah, but I was talking about my character alignment the other day. Have you? Have you recently reevaluated your character alignment? Yeah. What is your current alignment? Uh, lawful neutral. Lawful neutral. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have thought. Mm-hmm. The Merlin made the suggestion because I just recently did a. Uh, I was going to ask what what yours is. Well, I always was. I always for a long time when I was young, I thought I was chaotic good. I was going to say chaotic good. Han Solo's chaotic good. Yeah. Chaotic good was just, it was just who I was. And I think you're obligated to do the right thing, but you'll do it your own damn way. Yeah, exactly. And I think of myself as chaotic good. Now I did a character evaluation or a alignment evaluation 10 years ago or something. And it said chaotic neutral. Hmm. And I said, I don't think that's accurate. I do feel obligated to do right. Well, I did one the other day and it said true neutral. No, 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 no. There's there. Nobody's true neutral. Well, this said, and and so what I, what I sensed was, no, this is not true neutral. This is that the, that this is that the test cannot accommodate that in some cases I will choose any one of the choices. And Merlin said, you have, you know, you, you operate according to so many laws you're absolutely like lawful neutral or, and I said, I am not lawful neutral because whose laws do I follow? I follow my own laws only. That's not lawful. That is chaotic. Yeah. Because I mean, like, okay, well, because I'm following, I'm following the laws of some made up cast of paladins that never existed. Okay. So chaotic. Good. I'm on the, uh, Site of all knowledge, Wikipedia. Yeah. Chaotic good. Chaotic good does what is necessary to bring about change for the better, disdains bureaucratic organizations that get in the way of social improvement, and places a high value on personal freedom, not only for oneself, but for others as well. Chaotic good people, it says characters, but I'm, I'm swapping that in. Chaotic good people usually intend to do the right thing, but their methods are generally disorganized and often out of sync with the rest of society. 
And then it has your picture right underneath this. So I'm not I'm sure why. Uh, compared to lawful neutral, a lawful neutral person typically believes strongly in lawful concepts such as honor, order, rules, and tradition, but often follows a personal code in addition to or even in preference to one set down by a benevolent authority. Hmm. Examples of lawful neutral characters include a soldier who always follows orders, a judge or enforcer who adheres mercilessly to the letter of the law, and a disciplined monk. Hmm. Now, true neutral, it says, uh, tends not to feel strongly toward any alignment or actively seeks their balance. Druids frequently follow this dedication to balance. And, uh, okay, uh, now it's getting into very D&D type stuff. Most animals were originally considered true neutral because they lacked the capacity for moral judgment in general, guided by instinct rather than conscious decision. So right. I don't, but I don't, I don't see you as maybe you are, but I don't, I would never have, I would have said chaotic good, maybe even chaotic neutral. Yeah. An individualist who follows their own heart and generally shirks rules and traditions Although chaotic neutral characters promote the ideas of freedom, it's their own freedom that comes first. Good and evil come second to their need to be free. I could no, see, that's not me. I could see that before I could see uh, a lawful on you, though. No, you're right. No, I'm not chaotic neutral. That's not, because I'm because I eschew libertarianism for right. the most part. Right. You know, like I do believe there should be codes. It's just that the codes, the codes to me seem obvious. And they are, they just go across the grain. Yeah. They go across all grain. Um, you know, the thing is most people, most people in the modern day are, and they may not realize it, but most people are lawful good. Yeah, I think so. And then once in a, in a great while, you'll find somebody who's chaotic good, but neutral is to be truly neutral is really, that's a tough that's a tough thing, especially pure neutral. Yeah. I need, to, I need to take one of these tests. I've never taken a test, but it describes chaotic neutral on another site here. Chaotic neutral as a free spirit. Chaotic neutral character follows his whims. He's an individualist first and last. He values his, values his own liberty, but doesn't strive to protect others' freedom. Well, that's not really you, is it? No, I know guys like that. Um, there are a few friends I've had in Alaska, but that is a very, very hard road to take. Yeah. Um, you have to be, well, the thing is that, that they're, it's not that they're committed to that path. It's that there isn't an alternative to them, you know, that they are, they're utterly, right. utterly free. They protect it, but they didn't choose it. Yeah. You're, you're definitely not a chaotic neutral. Now here's no. what this site says about chaotic good. It calls it the rebel. A chaotic good character acts as his conscience directs him with little regard for what others expect of him, John. He makes his own way, but he's kind and benevolent, John. He believes in goodness and right, but has little use for laws and regulations. Yeah. I think that's you. He hates it when people try to intimidate others and tell them what to do. Is that true? Which one is this? Chaotic good. Yeah. He follows his own moral compass, which although good may not agree with the rest of society. Yeah, that sounds like you. It says it yeah. combines a good heart with a free spirit. Yeah, well, hopefully. Hopefully, good heart with a free spirit. And none of those character alignments uh, take into consideration like depressive tendencies. You know, like 
they always try to they always try to um, spin depression as introspection, mm. which is how depressed people also try to spin depression. Uh, and the the danger of equating depression and introspection is like a, a feels to me and more like a real danger because depressed people thinking it's introspection do not uh, take a critical look at the fact that depression is an alien presence. Right. And so, you know, all those things, all those things about chaotic good, if you introduce also some illness into it in the form of a, a mind that's an unreliable narrator, it, I can see like the, it creates problems that then the symptoms of those problems seem like they change the alignment mm -hmm. to, to something like chaotic neutral. Um, but it isn't a change in a, a, of alignment. It's a change of, um, it's a, it's, it's a reactive change. You're trying to fight, uh, you're trying to fight a bugbear that's internal rather than an external bugbear. So you can't use your bag of holding on it. Uh huh. You know what I mean? I no, I totally do. I don't know. I think alignments do not translate. I mean, it's fun, but they, I don't think they really translate perfectly to the real world. Any, not, not really. When I was a kid, I thought they did. Yeah, me too. <laughs> which, which tests were you taking? Cause maybe I could find it. And oh, put it into the no. Show at, the, at the time of the tests lately, I mean, there's wizards of the coast has one, but all you have to do is do like align character alignment test and a bunch of them will pop up. In the old days, there wasn't a test. You just, you just eyeballed it. Right, right. You said, there, oh, that there, sounds like me. Yeah, there was never a doubt in my mind from the very moment that I was chaotic good. As soon as I heard, as soon as I heard uh, player alignments described, and I was in seventh grade. So at seventh grade, to understand that you are chaotic good, and you know, none of my friends identified with chaotic good. Um, for the most part, they were lawful good or lawful evil. <laughs> You've known people you would consider lawful evil? Oh, for sure. Yeah? I mean, I think a lot of people are lawful evil. And by lawful evil, I just mean that they obey the rules, but they're self-serving. They're always trying to find a reading of the rules that serves them rather than the community. A lawful evil villain, <clears throat> it says villain, Mm -hmm. uh, takes what he wants within the limits of his code of conduct without regard for whom it hurts. He cares about tradition, loyalty, and order, but not about freedom, dignity, or life. He plays by the rules, but without mercy or compassion. He's comfortable in a hierarchy and would like to rule, but is willing to serve. He condemns others, not according to their actions, but according to race, religion, homeland, or social rank. He's loath to break laws or promises. Yeah. I mean, that's so many people in the world. Yeah. So there's a, there is a site, um, on the Facebook that was, I think, um, it was spawned from a conversation you and I had about the fact that there wasn't any place on Facebook that talked about road work or the overarching themes of it. And we both were surprised by that. And then a site on Facebook appeared under the name Gary's van. 
which, you know, is a reference to ye olden times. Yes. And it's meant, I think, as a place, as a group where people that really know all the in jokes are there, but they're, they're, but they talk about serious things. For the most part, I don't, I think that it is a serious place and not a, not a place just to sit or sit and, and throw catchphrases back and forth at each other. And because Merlin and I talked about this character alignment stuff only a couple of days ago, there's that, that the people on the, on that site actually did a poll. What's your character alignment? Hmm. And the, the clear winner of people who listen to this show, who are also on Gary's van on Facebook yeah, is neutral. Good. Mm. Neutral. Good. Neutral. Good is what, uh, what most of the listeners, not most of, but, but a majority of the listeners identified. Now, of course, the second option was neutral milk hotel, which also had a, a large number of the people <laughs> felt that that was their character alignment. And I, I agree with that. I uh-huh. believe in that. And then third down is true neutral. So the top three answers, if you include neutral milk hotel are all neutral. That's right. the majority of the people on the site. I and don't know if I buy that fourth down with only three respondents, chaotic, good, mm. and then two chaotic neutrals. So no one in that group identified as lawful anything. And no one in that group identified as evil. It was all forms of neutrality, chaos, and good. I wish that we could do an after show, but I have these guys at this studio across town who are, who are keyed up to have me come in and, um, and do some mixing today. Oh, wow. And this is the only time I can do it because I'm leaving on the cruise tomorrow morning. So I have to. Wow. God, you get a lot going on. Yeah. yeah they're go, getting paid go, by the hour. Go, wow, go fly. Go fly. 